you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 2? This is our third and final message uh, as we've been dealing with uh, just uh, what is church, church membership, and those sorts of things. And uh, so in Acts chapter 2, in your Bibles this morning, uh, understanding the biblical church, uh, here part 3, and as we started a few weeks ago, and uh, uh, Raymond had joined the church, but membership brings us great opportunities in joining, physically joining uh, ourselves to a local body of believers, including an opportunity for fellowship and the finest company that can be found, an opportunity for Christian growth, development, and training, the various functions of the local church. We have opportunity for Christian service through the church in the name of Christ to those at home and around the globe. Where else can we find such opportunities to live for God and our fellow man through the local church. Membership places upon us an inescapable obligation to make the church, the local church, and its work first in our lives. And I want to serve Jesus. It's an obligation to use your time, your talents, your abilities for the glory of God. An obligation to support the work with your presence, your influence, and your means. You see, churches are never stronger than their membership. And a membership of worldly, careless, negligent, stunted Christians will prevent a church from accomplishing much for God. There's a need for every member to be consecrated, trained, and enlisted in the service of God. We are an obligation, we are under obligation to be the very best members, the very best believers under the leading of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head. We see then that membership is a privilege and opportunities that entails great obligation. And too many have not learned these things, and the churches mean little. I'll jump from here to there, back and forth, and all over the place, as though uh, God is pleased. But God's desire is that you're attached. You see, when a child grows up in a family, it has a family. I don't want my child to be raised by this parent for this month, and next month another parent. It, It does a lot of damage when children are passed around from home to home. And God's desire in our lives is to settle ourselves in, to get attached and work for God and do what God's called us to be. We don't want to just continue to be, uh, if you would, in the foster system of jumping around. I want to be attached with a family. I want to be attached. I mean, now we understand there's a universal family of God, but I'm attached with a, with a, a church. And, 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 and I'm going to talk about this very idea of membership is more than just uh, being a believer. It is attaching ourselves to a local body of believers and getting involved and using our time, our talents for God. And God wants to use you, but as Christ is the head, he uses local institutions, local churches, to minister to the community and get the gospel out. It is individuals, as you think on these things, it is a privilege that that entails or requires an obligation. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, and they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. The church of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, people were saved, they were baptized, and added unto them. You had the 120 apostles added unto them, 3,000 people, so now you have 3,120 people to the church of Jerusalem a local body of believers in that large city. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And the idea here is uh, Dr. E.P. Aldridge, who for many years served as a secretary of the Department of Survey, Statistics, and Information of a Sunday School Board, once said that 60% of the members of the average church were unenlisted. 
that must be changed. And uh, making a membership really count for Christ. I want to show you the church membership. It is for the saved, scripturally baptized, and sanctified believers. Believers that say, I want to serve God. I'm ready to get involved. I'm ready to not be uh, back in the back. I want to get forward, and I want to start doing something for God. And, uh, <clears throat> and so what, we must, what I'm going to look at today, some people say, well, is really church membership something that I need to be concerned about? And I'd say a hearty yes, you do, uh, to that. And, and I trust today as we look at the scriptures, you'll, you'll come away with, with an understanding that God's desire is not just to be a believer, not just to attend church, but to join that church and get involved and see God do great things. You know, uh, and, and there's a lot of things, man. If you get people on board and people, Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You can look at Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20 is the passage of scripture. All things, teaching them to observe all things. Well, Jesus would also talk about the church. He was the founder. Uh, but he also would say, even in Matthew chapter 18, if anyone has aught against you and uh, you take with you one and then you take with you two and if they won't hear you, then bring it to the church. There's an understanding that there's a body of believers with whom there is an accountability to one another. There's an accountability to Jesus Christ that my testimony in the community is such that would honor God. And so the desire today and the principle of this message is join the church, get busy, being a team member, fulfilling God's plan for your life. And uh, that will start, that is the principle of the message today. Let's pray and uh, we'll continue our study this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. And God, I'm thankful for the opportunity we have. I thank you for each and every person that's come out this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd help the message that goes forth to be clear, uh, to be understandable, to be precise and accurate. And Father, I thank you that we can meet locally. It's not some online or any universal meeting, but it's a local meeting of believers together. And Father, realizing an attachment to a family of believers, to honor and serve you and work for you. Lord, I, I yield today to thee. And Lord, I just ask that you be with each and every person, some or all various stages of spiritual growth. For those who do not know you are not saved, I pray that they'd be saved today. For those who've never made the next step and being baptized, the Lord, that they'd make that step. And Father, others that baptize and join the church and get involved in serving you. Get involved in the very institution that you started, as we've discussed in the past few weeks. Lord, I ask for your help and strength today. I love you. Thank you for being our gracious Savior. God, I thank you that you're so forgiving of us. And Lord, you're not asking for us to, to do the Christian life on our own strength and try to do it on our own. But Lord, we just walk with you and follow your guidance and direction. And Lord, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us, Lord to be separated, holy people, ready to do what you've called us to do and be all that you've called us to do. Every person here this morning is precious, loved, and cared for by you. And God, may we realize what you've called us to do and do it with all of our might. I love you in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Just a little review. What distinguishes a church member from a regular attender? Is it the ability to vote at an annual business meeting? Is there any clear biblical reason for emphasizing church membership in the local church? Why is it better to be a member than simply a regular attender? Especially if membership entails obligations. 
What does it mean to be a member of church? What, what is it that potential members are asked to commit themselves to? How are members asked to live out that commitment in practical ways every day? Now, I want to look at several things here. The church at Jerusalem. Uh, membership is inherent through baptism. In Acts chapter uh, uh, 2, verse 41, they received his word, so they were saved. They were baptized and added unto the church. They said, hey, I want to make this the church body with which I am exercising the talents and gifts that God's given me to minister to the community. Uh, and in Matthew 28, 19, uh, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. Jesus commanded the baptism of believers, and as a result, uh, of the baptism, people would say, hey, I, I want to make Jesus the head, so I want to attach myself to the institution he created. Of the 115 uses of the word church in the New Testament, the word church in the New Testament uh, in Greek is ekklesia, which means a called out assembly. A church, as we've discussed last week, is a doctrinally unified group of believers banded together for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not just evangelization. It's not just giving people the gospel. The Great Commission it is evangelism, but it's also discipleship. Once you become a believer, it's growing. If you're a family, a husband and a wife, and, and the whole human race, it requires that people have children for the human race to continue. Otherwise, human race will cease to exist. There must be a perpetuation. There has to be a reproduction. Well, churches and, and the Christians ought to be reproducing ourselves. What I mean by that is I'm getting the gospel, I'm discipling and getting people to grow in the Lord so that when they grow, they can disciple and they can reproduce it. And that's how it works through the generations, that we would reproduce ourselves for the sake of getting people to know Christ, to help them to know Christ and live for Christ. Now, membership was exemplified in the church life. Look with me. There was an actual numbered membership. Acts chapter 1, verse 15. There you would have attenders. Now you remember that Jesus had many people that would attend his services. Sometimes thousands of people would come to listen to Jesus. But there was a time where Jesus said, Will ye also go away? But he had his 12 apostles, who was the, uh, the first people of that first church that Jesus started. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, we find of these disciples, in Acts 1, 15, in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. So in the first church of Jerusalem, after Jesus ascends into heaven, there's 120 disciples that are a part of that. Now from this, you would find obviously Pentecost happens. But also, going to chapter 4 of Acts, I want you to see uh, something else here. We find that there's a specific membership in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. <clears throat> Uh, verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And, and so here you can read the passage further for the context. But in uh, the idea here, uh, verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. So again, there's a number. They were all assembled together. There's a physical gathering together. COVID told us, uh, COVID not told us, but COVID showed us that you, you know what, church online does not, I mean, it's not really church, church is the call out assembly coming together, but you know, literally coming together personally 
I, I was going crazy just meeting people on video chats. I like to sit in the company and talk with you face to face. There's something there about shaking a hand. If you give a hug, uh, so being in the company of someone else is so much uh, more meaningful. Man, I just long to be around people. I long to be around you. And, you know, just, you know, we've had sometimes handshaking time and all these things. It means something to us. There is something about being together. And these people were assembled together. The church was still meeting in Solomon's porch at the temple. It was a busy place, yet their company was distinguishable. Their own company. There was a separate group of people that were meeting, much like, you know, we're meeting today. But membership, in verse 32 of Acts chapter 4, and the multitude of them that believe were of one heart. Their doctrine was unified. They weren't, well, I believe this, and I believe this. Well, you see it this way, and I... You know what? That brings a lot of confusion. They had a determined direction they were going. This is what we believe. Uh, this, we believe upon the Bible. This is the direction we're going. Our desire is to see people get saved. The gospel is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus for all people, for all humanity, for all time, that people would accept Christ as a Savior because they are a sinner headed for the judgment of God in a place the Bible calls hell. In Acts chapter 5, verse 13, look with me here. This membership is completely voluntary. You don't have to do it, it is, but out of obedience, I want to please God. I want to do what is pleasing to Him. In Acts chapter 5, uh, verse 13, of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. Well, these people, uh, they, there was a decision. They joined themselves unto this group of people. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, they brought in some gifts to, to Peter, and they said, we've sold our land, and we've given all the money to the church. And, and Peter says, why have you decided to lie to the Holy Ghost? And boom, they died right there, right in front of the church. The deacons would pick them up, and they'd carry them out of the church. Well, if someone came up into church, church and, and they lied and mad. They just died right there. Our eyes would be like, God just smote that person. You see, a voluntary membership is a historic, biblical distinctive. Individual soul liberty. Every person has a choice on what they believe. Now there's consequences, but every person ought to have a choice of what they believe. We reject all forms of coercion, whether it is the unwilling sprinkling of infants or the use of physical force to compel men to join. Some beliefs, religious faith traditions today will put a gun and say, believe this or else. But that's not biblical. There have been some through the ages that have had all sorts of measures to force people by even government enforcement. Believe this or else you'll lose these privileges. That is not of God. Never has God used the state, the government, to force people to believe a particular belief. You choose whom you love. You know what? In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, Ananias and Sapphira, when they saw that Satan filled the heart of Ananias and Sapphira and the Holy Ghost would kill them right in front of the people, the people said, I don't want to join anymore. That, I don't want to be killed. <laughs> they understood they're entering into the very presence of God and God's people.
Look with me in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. The, the membership, that church, had a functioning membership. They were active. They were doing things. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. What is the business? Look with me back at verse 1. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. That church <clears throat> here was taking care of widows, but some of the widows are being neglected when others are being cared for. And they're like, hey, a church is supposed to be taking care of its widows. So there's some murmuring, there's some things. And so the apostles are like, well... You know, we, we're praying, we're preaching, we're ministering to people. We need some people to help. And so this is the first in Acts chapter 6, is the election. Uh, you know, the, the church says, choose you out seven men of honest report, men that love God, to be essentially that, the, the servants. But uh, these are the first deacons. The first deacons of the church of Jerusalem. Now the church there has over 8,000 people at this time. He says, look ye out among you, he says, amongst the church, and choose seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, men that are committed fully to God. Membership was joinable. Look with me at Acts chapter 9, verse 26. It's not just that I'm saved, but I'm going to unite myself with a spiritual organism, the spiritual body here of a local church. In Acts chapter 9, verse 26, look with me about the apostle Paul formerly called Saul. Churches are a spiritual organism that is alive. And if that local, if that organism, that spiritual organism, loses the Spirit of God upon it, God will with, pull back His Spirit, and that church may continue to exist, but it doesn't exist with God's hand on it. It doesn't exist, I mean, it's, it's spiritually dead. If God pulls back his spirit. See, our desire is, I hope I'm not confusing you. If I am, please ask me. Please, I'd love to answer these questions for you. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, God's desire, and when Saul was uh, come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. The disciples are those people who are not just saved, but they are active. It's like a student. Disciples are those who are learning from someone else. They're learning, they're growing, they're, they're, they're advancing on their desire to serve God. Paul says, I want to join the church of Jerusalem. The people are like, are you kidding me? You killed my dad. You killed my wife. You killed, uh, or you know, you killed my grandpa. You killed my son. You took this person to jail. No way are you joining us. Saul, you've wreaked havoc on this church. Why in the world would we let you join us? I mean, you're a, you've been a menace to this church. People are still living in fear. He wanted to unite with the church of Jerusalem, but they refused to accept him until Barnabas would commend him to them. You know, there's also a visible membership in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Man, the greatest thing a Christian has is not a loose affiliation, but it's joining yourself, getting involved, and making that body of believers strong and advancing for Christ. And you might be saying, well, they don't know what I've done. But God does. And God forgave us. Why don't we get serious and say, you know what? 
I need to be saved. If you've never been saved, you need to be saved. And you baptize. And out of baptism is, a, is an expression, I want to serve Jesus with my life. It is an obedient act as well. But I want to obey him. And as an act of obey him, because there is a local assembly, I want to join myself to them. And I want to get involved and start serving and learning and growing for Christ. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples called, were called Christians first in Antioch. The disciples, these are people actively serving Christ, learning and growing. There's a church in Antioch. Let's look with me at Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a separated membership. It's different than just attending. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm telling you, when we get a, a concept of what is church in a biblical perspective, it changes us. It changes how I live my life. It changes what I'm doing because I'm not just you know, wandering from here, there, and everywhere. I'm attaching myself. And I'm saying, I want to get on God's program to do what He's called me to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it's a separated membership. What I mean by that, there's a distinction from those who are just believers. There's a distinction of a group of believers who stand doctrinally united and moving forward for the advancement of the Great Commission. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Actually, verse 9. Well, I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or the covetous or extortioners, or with idolaters, for those must needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, or such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? They're outside of the membership. Do not ye judge them that are within. There is within when an individual continues in a life of immorality and sinning, covetousness, there is a time where the church will have church discipline and remove that person and understand that church discipline. Verse 5, look with me here. The, the, the 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the church of Corinth had a guy who was a church member, but he was sleeping with his dad's wife. Gross. You know what? The Bible has a whole lot of messed up people in it. And this man is messing up big time. But he wasn't willing to change his ways. He wasn't willing to repent and stop doing what he was doing. And so the Bible tells us in verse 6, uh, actually verse 5, excuse me, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. If someone who is, who is a church member, they're committing this and they continue to commit sin and they commit, continue to go down this direction. The church has, you know, and, and you go with one person and now church discipline is not just give them the boot, boom, they're not like us. No, church discipline is always just as you would uh, mentor and, and, and discipline a child. Your desire is that child would stop doing what they're doing and begin to do right. Your goal is restoration. Your goal is reconciliation. So there's a good relationship again. You see, this is what the desire is. It's not just to throw the hammer down and beat someone up because they're already beat up. But the desire is, but he says in verse six, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leavened at the whole lump. A Christian is to be pure. 
But we, I, I understand. We, the, so this man is not willing to leave, stop sleeping with his dad's wife. One person goes to him. Two people go to him. They finally bring it before the church. They're trying to help him to say, please, stop. The guy's like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Bug off. Get, get out of here. And so the church says, okay, we're going to dismiss you from membership. We're going to give you over into Satan for the destruction of the flesh. We're going to let Satan torment you. And then you come to the book of 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the man is weeping. He said, I have changed my ways. I've repented of my sins. Please let me back in. And the apostle Paul in the church is like, uh, I don't know if we want him back in. Paul's like, hey, the guy's done what he's supposed to do. He's repented. He's made things right. Let him back in. Let him join the church. Hey, you know what? We can all mess up. We can all get lost in our own pride and our own ways and go down this path. But the, Paul says, let him back in. Because the goal, what is the goal of all of this? Restoration. So that you can be all that God called you to be. He says, do not ye judge them that were thin. So there is a separated membership. There's those within and those without the church. If they're without the church, they're not attached to a church in membership. But the very fact that a member can be put out demands that there be a membership in the first place. And Paul is calling for the exclusion of this brother who is immoral and will not change his ways. Second Corinthians chapter two, verses six through seven. This is that man he wants back in. Someone can wrong you, someone can hurt you, and then they come and God works on their heart and they say, I want you to forgive me. I've never forgiven them. I will never let them back in my life. Well, my friend, God is saying, listen, the whole goal of that whole repentance and confession is restoration and reconciliation. It's a serious thing about our Christian life, our attachment. I'm not just living my life for myself. I'm living because I want people to know Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, this is the man that wants back in, sufficient to such a man as this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrary wise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such an one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Paul's saying, hey, he, he's, he's, he knows he's done wrong. He knows he's hurt the name of Christ. He's publicly repented. He's publicly said, I am sorry. Paul says, let him back in. And they do. It is never to throw the hammer down. You see, all that we do is to help people to be what God called them to be. You see, at the church at Philippi, there was an organized membership. Uh, <clears throat> Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. The bishops would also be another title you would know as pastor or elders. Pastor, elder, and bishop are all the same title, are all the same, they all mean the same thing. Uh, you know, I, I have things here that I do more on the secular. I deal with, you know, some of the bills. Now I understand I don't, <laughs> uh, I work with uh, uh, our treasurer on that, but, uh, you know, I have to make sure bills are paid and some of the just random things are work, you know, for this building to function. 
And so there's the oversight in that respect. There's the oversight of the music and other things that go on here. But the saints in the city of Philippi, they weren't drifters. They weren't doing their own thing. There was a declared, organized membership of people. There was a gathered membership. Look with me at Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Again, if you have any questions on this, and, and you might be saying, why is he going through this? Because if I understand that God's calling on all believers is to be attached to a church, attached to a core uh, doctrinal position in moving forward, that my service is through that church with Christ as the head. Because if a church doesn't have a membership, then what doctrinal position does it take? What doctrinal position is their foundation? By the doctrine, I'm meaning what are the beliefs that we stand upon with which we will not change and alter? If an organization, if Walmart one time says, well, today we're selling groceries, but in a month, we're going to start selling vehicles. Oh, and then the month after that, we're going to start selling clothes. If they keep changing their mission, you're like, I'm not going to that store. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're doing, right? You've got to know the direction you're going. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. So again, there is a gathering of disciples together upon the first day of the week on Sunday, just as we do today. Why do we have church on Sundays and not on Saturdays? Because Jesus rose again on the first day of the week, and to commemorate what Jesus did, we celebrate on Sundays, not Saturdays. That's why we meet on Sundays, not on Saturdays. You know something else? Church membership is indicated by Christ's relationship to his churches. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. How can we say we love the Lord, but we don't love what he had a passion for? In Romans chapter 1, verse 13, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man. And if you'll look at Romans uh, 1.13, Romans 1.20, it tells us in Romans 1.20, the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the, heaven, are the seven churches. There were church, seven churches that Jesus would talk about in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. And every one of these physical churches, he would give us some of the problems that were amongst that church that they needed to correct. Or he said, I'm going to remove your candlestick. I'm going to remove the flame. I'm going to remove the Holy Spirit presence and power upon that organized group of people. I will remove remove it. Now they can exist in their own power in their own ways, but they will not have my presence among them. Realize this, that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, look with me here. When we understand of God's calling to join ourselves, to get busy, you know what that does? We're not just aimlessly going through life, well, I guess this Christian thing, I can go here, I can go there, I can go here, and we're just like bopping around all over the place, not knowing what our position and purpose for God's life, God's purpose for our life is. He says, get involved, join up. I mean, God's given you talents and gifts. You have abilities that I don't have. If someone were to come up to you and say, you don't really need your fingers, I'll cut them off for you. And you say, no thanks. How about I'll cut your toes off? No thanks. 
what part of your body do you want to have cut out? Uh, none. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of pain. I'm not a big fan of, of needles. I don't like any of that. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he likens it to a body, the ear, the eye, the nose. There's a body of believers united. Every one of you, when you join a local church, you attach yourself, you are, whether you see yourself as important or not, you are unbelievably important to the functioning of that body. There's not one part of my body I want to have cut out. The only thing I'll cut is maybe my fingernails and my hair. But I don't want anything else cut out, unless I have to. Or if I'm dead, right? Then I can be an organ donor. Ephesians 2.22. In whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Built together. Although God is everywhere present, he dwells in the midst of his churches, as you would find in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. Jesus was there in the midst of his churches. And how can we say we love the Lord when we don't want to be where he is? If you love me, keep my commandments. Luke 6, 46, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? You see, classification is biblical. Let me go through a few things here. Uh, I've got to hasten here. But the early church would actually keep a list of widows. 1 Timothy 5, 9, let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. If a woman is a widow, she was to be taken care of. But they said if she's under 60, they would say let her marry. If she wants to marry, right? God himself also keeps a list of believers. Do you realize this? In Philippians 4, 3, and I treat thee also true yoke fellow, that uh, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other, my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Do you realize that God himself has a list of all believers in a, in a book called the book of life? God has also made a clear distinction between his people and the world. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. <clears throat> When you get on board with God's program for this age, man, it just, I have purpose in life. I have value. I have input. I am one whom God wants to use every one of you. This ought to get you excited, pumped up. I'm not just aimlessly going through life and not knowing what I've got. God's will for your life is to be saved, to be baptized, to join a church, and get involved and do something for God. You have value. We are in a world that says, you were created from nothing. You were created from, you know, you came from the monkeys. You're going to just go back, die, and go back to the dirt, and you have no value. I don't like that output. I don't like that faith tradition. That I'm just a bunch, I came from monkeys and eventually came from lizards that came from whatever, some primordial ooze, and uh, I'm going to go back to the dirt and become, you know, become worm food. Well, then I'm no different than the animals. The Bible says God breathed into man the breath of life. You have an eternal soul. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? 
God's desire is for believers, whether you enter into a business relationship, you enter into a, uh, a romantic relationship, he says, don't go with anyone that is not a believer. But also, uh, further on this idea is don't go with someone who's not going the same direction. Now, it does talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you're married to someone who maybe you got saved while you, both, while you were married and, and your spouse is not, uh, uh, not saved, it says don't leave them because you can be a witness to help reach them for Christ. But the Bible does tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, And what agreement hath the temple of God? You, if you're a Christian, are the temple of God. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Uh, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. He says, come out from among them. He says, separate yourself. Now I understand this. We're trying to reach the world for Christ, but I don't need to be like the world. I don't need to partake in drugs and alcohol and all sorts of the, the, the gambling and all the things of the world in order to reach the world. I can say Jesus is the answer. I can still say Jesus died for all of our sins. I don't need to be like the world to reach the world. Now I understand some, many people have come uh, out of horrible life lifestyles, and I praise God for what Jesus has done in your life. It's amazing the miracle that God's done in many of your lives. I've heard some of your testimonies. It is unbelievable. Every one of you, every person that's ever professed faith in Christ, it's amazing. But God says, you don't want to be like the world because I pulled you out of the world. I don't want to go back to the slime pit. I want to stay in the cleanliness and purity in the living fresh waters of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to be different. There's a distinction. question we need to ask ourselves is whether we will submit under the headship of Christ at a local New Testament church. You know, you think about Acts 2.41, the day that gladly received his word were baptized, the same day they were added in about 3,000 souls. I'm going to read a final uh, illustration here, and I'll be done shortly. A little lengthier illustration, but imagine that we are TV sportscasters standing on the sidelines of a football game to give the play-by-play. Scene number one, there's three different scenes. Scene number one, the team nearest us is standing together, heads bowed in prayer with the coach in the center. Suddenly, they give a great cheer, and the coach trots out onto the field by himself. The players go sit on the bench. What's going on, we ask, as we stick a microphone in front of a 250-pound guard? What's the coach doing out there? Oh, he's, gonna, he's, go, he's going to play today. All by himself? Sure, why not? He's had a lot more experience and training than the rest of us. We've got a lot of rookies on this team, and we might make mistakes. Anyway, they play the coach well. We're all here to cheer and support him. And look at the huge crowd that's come to watch him play. Bewildered, we watch as the opposing team kicks off. The coach catches the ball. He valiantly charges upfield, but is buried under 11 opposing tacklers. He's carried off half-conscious. You think that's ridiculous. But it isn't that the picture many of us have of the church. The members expect the minister to do the preaching, praying, witnessing, and visiting because he's paid to do the Lord's work, and he's better trained. But listen to God's game plan. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Look with me here. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Ephesians, not Galatians. <laughs> All right, Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He's saying, listen, I want pastors to edify and give out the input 
so that we can all collaboratively do the work, right? And, uh, but the uh, illustration goes on. God gives leaders to the church not to do all the work, but to help all of God's people to do it. Members are not there simply to pay pastors and evangelists to do the Lord's work. Uh, <clears throat> rather, pastors, evangelists, and teachers are to equip the members to be ministers. Your pastor is meant to be a kind of a playing coach. His main function is to help you as a Christian discover your spiritual gifts, develop them, and use them to build up the body of Christ, that local church. Scene number two. Okay, so the first one, the, the, the coach goes in by himself. The, scene number two, the team realizes they've got all to play. So they're on the field in the huddle. They huddle and huddle and huddle. The referee calls a penalty for delaying the game and moves the, the ball back five yards. Still, the team huddles and huddles and huddles. The referee calls penalty after penalty, and finally, until finally the ball is moved back to the goal line. Hey, coach, shouts the quarterback you know, from the sidelines. This is the greatest huddle I've ever seen. What a, great, what a great group of guys. We have the best fellowship, and some of these guys are amazing students uh, of the playbook. Some have memorized over 100 plays and can analyze them precisely. We have learned so much in this huddle. Why don't you get up on the line and play? Why should we? We want a bigger and better huddle. Besides, we might get hurt. No one ever got hurt in a huddle. Your church and mine are in big trouble if they become a holy huddle. A band of saints gathered Sunday after Sunday, singing, praising, enjoying each other, but never getting out on the line to apply what they learned, never getting out and evangelizing. The church is supposed to be Christ's body, his hands, his feet, his voice, by which he carries out his plans in, in the world. God intends that not, as Ephesians 3.10 tells us, if you're still there in Ephesians, turn with me back to Ephesians 3.10. To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The church is to be God's light in a dark, corrupt society. The Christian life was never meant to be lived only in church for a couple of hours on Sunday. It's meant to be lived in the public arena, on the firing line, at school, the office, in the neighborhood, seven days a week. Of course, we need worship and training and fellowship with other Christians. A football team needs a huddle. But it's what happens after the huddle that the game is all about. And scene number three. Instead of lining up against the opposing squad, they break into groups of two or three, arguing with others. Soon they start shoving each other. Two of them actually get into a fight. What's wrong with you now? You know, we ask one of them that walks off the field and discuss. That bunch of malcontents can't agree on anything, he says. Those two over there are arguing over the color of the uniform. A couple others are quarreling over the right way to kneel in the huddle. Those two guys are arguing because one believes in what he calls personal football and the other believes in social football. They can't agree whether the individual or the team is more important. And I'm quitting because I can pass a lot better than that other guy, and they won't let me be the quarterback. The game plan says, Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, look with me here. For he, Jesus, is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. God wants unity. You see, Christians talk a lot about the peace of Christ. Can the world see that peace in our church relationships? You know, within the local church, there's plenty of room for diversity of gifts. But underlying that diversity is unity. Ephesians 4, 2 through 6, look with me here. <clears throat> with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. You know that forbearing one another in love means have patience with others? Not everyone's going to have the same strengths. Not everyone's going to say it the same way you do. Give them patience to grow in their walk with God. 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one Lord, uh, there is one body, one Spirit, even as you're called, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Isn't it time to show our oneness and truth and love to a watching world? And the end of this illustration goes. So the first half end, the team drags off the locker room, defeated, demoralized, beaten. But when the second half begins, we see a different team. Suddenly, they're playing together with a new spirit. They huddle, slap each other in the back, and take the line. They're off the ball with split-second timing. There's no hesitation. They know where they're going. Each player carries out his assignment, and soon they score a touchdown, then another and another. When the game ends, they've won. Afterwards, in the locker room, the players are exhausted, cut and bruised, but happy. What happened at halftime to change this team, we asked the coach. We were sitting here beaten, he says, and suddenly a kind of presence seemed to come over us. I started talking to the players, pointing out my mistakes and theirs, and they started talking. Everyone was honest. Nobody blamed the others. We took a good look at ourselves. And someone recalled that the great coach, the one who invented the game, also wrote the master game plan. Wouldn't it make sense to see what he said? Remember how he literally gave himself to get the game started, to teach that first team everything he knew. So we got out the original game plan and read about the basics such as each player knowing his place and dedicating himself to it, about pulling together, being willing to sacrifice, knowing the aim of the game, and using the proper equipment he designed. Well, we were quiet. It felt as if the great coach was with us. As You think about this, Jesus Christ, God has given us his word as a game plan for life. If we get on board with God's plan, here's what you must decide. Number one, will you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Do you know if, you were, if it were your last day to live where you're going to spend eternity? Have you ever accepted Christ? Second of all, being scripturally baptized by a sound New Testament church and then joining the church, getting active, serving God. Be obedient. Join the only institution for which he died. We must not be detached. Attach ourselves to what God wants us to attach and be a band of brothers and sisters to belong and defend the cause of Christ. And I'm done with this verse, Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served or on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As you think on these truths today, getting involved in the greatest program that God created, the local church. You are important. It's not just myself. It's not just a band of few. You see, you're welcome to join. I'll talk with you. We'll go through it and see where we're at. And, but, man, get involved. I was proud of it a few weeks ago when Raymond made that decision to join. And others have in the past made a decision to join. Would you get involved? See what God would have you to do. And not just go here and there, but attach ourselves. And let's do something great for God. Amen. If I can have Mrs. Pat come forward for the invitation period this morning. I know I went a little longer. I trust this made sense. I trust it was encouraging to you, challenging you. But if we don't know what God calls us to do and we're just trying to figure out the whole plan on our own, we kind of go through life pretty aimlessly and like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a Christian. God's given us the instructions. Get on board and do what God's called you to do. As the music will play here in just a moment, I want to ask you this first question. Is there ever a time in your life you've bowed your head, you've prayed, and you've asked God, please forgive me of all my sins and be my Savior. 
You've confessed that you're a sinner, that it's not your good works, it's not your baptism as an infant, it's not your good, it's not any, it's not praying and reading the Bible that will get you to heaven. You simply put your trust that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is there ever a time in your life you've done that? If you haven't, I'd love to show you afterwards from the Bible how you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. The Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 13 that you can know for sure you are on your way to heaven. And Christian, let us get on board, be obedient, and follow Christ in all that he's called us to do. And may we accomplish the gifts and talents he's called us to do through the local church. With heads bowed and eyes closed, a time for you to talk and pray with the Lord. If you need prayer or you'd like to chat, I'd love to meet with you after the service. I'll be at the back. I'd love to chat with you. I trust each and every one of us would make the proper decision with what God wants us to do. You know, if we're obeying God, you can do no better. As the music will come to a close here shortly, Christian, it's, it is an amazing day to be a Christian. We live in dark times, but God can work through the darkest of times to do great things if we'll simply submit our will and follow Him. As we had in Sunday school, brokenness is the path to victory. Dear Heavenly and Gracious Father, I thank you for each and every person that came out this morning. I thank you for their decision to come and worship together. Father, I pray that the truths that were presented would work in hearts and continue with what you've started. Father, I pray that you'd also encourage hearts. Some people may be wondering, what am I supposed to do with my life? First of all, they must accept Christ. Second of all, baptize and join the church. And, and you'll lead us every step of the way. Father, help us to be found faithful. I love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. I pray the truths were clear. And may we go out. As we've just been in a huddle, now it's time to get on the game field and serve Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.